Hello everybody and welcome to the Going Up Cast, your weekly feel-good podcast with brand new songs for you to listen to for the launch of Harry Potter Book 7 audiobook, a review of the latest Toy Story film, and a whole lot more. I'm your host, Andrew Logan, and let's dive right into it. That's right, this week we cover a lot of ground. We take a grand nostalgia trip with the latest Toy Story film. I get on a bit of a soapbox about cultural representation and how to live in a world full of calorie counting. We talk a bit about one of my guilty pleasures in terms of television and the CW superhero shows. Book 7 launches. Oh boy, it's a week. It's a really awesome week. And if you like the audiobooks or the podcast that I put forth for your listening pleasure and you wish to support my continuing creative efforts there are lots of ways in which you can do that you can visit patreon.com forward slash going upcast where you can become a five dollar patron and get access to the monthly live stream or you can go to goingcast.com forward slash store and get yourself a mystery book or a brand spanking custom audiobook for your listening pleasure off of any written material you wish me to read but enough shilling of my own volition let's talk about some stuff Yes, might not know about me is that I am an adventurous eater. I consume foods that many would sneer at, many would never give a second chance, because I am always curious about what is out there in terms of culinary discoveries. And so on this endeavor, last week I went to one of my favorite spots in Ballard Moshi Moshi Sushi, which is a wonderful joint. They do good stuff there. They've got a very large cocktail list of delicious grub. They've got a very large sushi bar uh, with uh, a wonderful staff that are eager to give you the, the taste of the day and open your doors to new horizons. And it has this gigantic LED flowering tree inside that's comprised of thousands of lights that is quite frankly just beautiful to stare at. I can recall many times when I was trashed off my ass and I'd go into this place and I'd just stare at that tree for like 30 minutes straight while eating awesome sushi. So I went for just a little, you know, I needed some raw fish in my life. Uh, I was meeting up with friends later that same day and I wanted to eat not something like drenched in fry oil, basically. So I went and got me some sushi and I started the meal right at the tippy top when it comes to delicious food is uni uni which is sea urchin row or sea urchin eggs now uni has one of the strongest flavors i've ever had um and i will tell you about two other flavors i had in this meal that actually beat it out in terms of flavors that linger but uni when fresh is silky smooth it tastes like you took a bite out of the ocean super briny super fishy so if that's not your jam then you're not gonna like it but it's rich and velvety it's luxurious i love it it is just like oh my god i love it it's an incredibly great flavor it's probably one of those tastiest single bites i've discovered in my culinary adventures so i highly recommend you try it however you don't like briny fishy stuff you will not enjoy it um, it also is reminiscent of what I imagine it eating like an, a raw egg yolk would be like. That kind of um, texture. It kind of breaks apart and dissolves in your mouth. So it's, it's rich and velvety, but it does have this kind of weird, kind of cold, 
loose texture to it. So I'm not selling it, but you're either gonna love it or you're not. However, I will also say that Uni turns on a dime. So if you go to a sushi place that is not like on the up and up, you know, and they've got like some, like a uni that's like, like a day or two. I'm not sure how bad it goes, but it goes from one of the most delicious things to like rotten egg so fast. So be super careful. Um, just, you know, go uh, to a trusted location and uh, give it a chance because you're not going to know unless you eat it if it's good or bad. However, I've had really consistently good uni at Moshi Moshi. I've gotten there three times and each time it's been awesome. So, I feel pretty safe getting it there. So that was the start of the meal. One of the tastiest things ever. And then I'm looking at the, the chalkboard, you know, behind the bar. Here's the what's fresh and all that stuff. And they had something on there I've never had before, which was monkfish liver, which I, you know, didn't even know what to expect, really. But picture it like a, uh, like a, almost like a sausage without any casing on it. It was circular. It was like pressed together. And then they sliced it thin and uh, gave it to me basically like that. Texture-wise, it reminded me of tofu with the flavor of canned sardines. It looked terrible. It did not look appetizing, but the flavor was actually not all that bad. Um, definitely fishy, uh, but outside of that, the texture, again, you know, tasted like tofu, but it wasn't, wasn't that bad. Can't say I recommend it. There's nothing like mind blowing about it. It's just like, oh, okay, that's a, that's what that is. Got it. And so, at this point in the meal, I was a gin drinking, uh, and those two dishes. And I look at the guy behind the counter and I go, I just ate uni, and monkfish liver. Where do you recommend I go from here? And he goes, Give me a minute. And I go, All right. And he's like, Would you like to eat something weird? And I go, Always. And he goes, I'm going to give you something that everybody in, Jap in Japan eats. I was about to say, in Japanese. Everyone in Japan eats this food. And I go, all right, bring it. And so I'm watching him cook some, like, basically start prepping some ingredients. He chops up some okra raw and puts it in a bowl. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Uh, I know okra, um, when it's not cooked, has this kind of weird natural slimy texture to it. It's got, like, this weird, like, mucus membrane or whatever. And then he breaks out a Tupperware container and he puts a spoon in it and he kind of drags it out. And I recognized what it was instantly because of the horror stories of this particular ingredient. This ingredient is iconic as quite possibly one of the strangest foods in the world. It is called natto, which is soybeans fermented in Bacillus subtilis var natto. It is fermented soybeans. It is stringy, slimy in texture. Uh, outside, I like the, the, the kind of mucus, for bad, lack of a better word, uh, surrounding the actual fermented soybeans. It's super stringy. The soybeans themselves just taste kind of like cooked beans, um, basically. But the, the, the couple of... Uh, like the way I've been describing it to people is that it was slimy to eat first of all for sure so the slimiest food I've ever eaten it also tasted like peanut butter mixed with burnt coffee and just the ever-present flavor of rot and decay is what it tasted like this is to me this is not one of those foods that it's like, oh, it's an acquired taste, or oh, you get used to it, or oh, you eat it like this. 
it does not taste good and I don't want to put it in my mouth ever again. I know a lot of people somehow enjoy that flavor. They eat it for breakfast, which I don't understand, but to each their own. He mixed the raw okra with the soybeans after mixing the soybeans with, shut up Amazon, after mixing the soybeans with soy sauce and then covered the whole thing in bonito flakes. As a, com as a composed dish, it did not have a reprieve. Um, it was slimy and slimy on top of kind of dusty from the bonito flakes. Uh, and the fish flavor of the bonito flakes, because bonito is dried mackerel, I believe, that is then shaved thin, um, kind of dusted on top of it. So you had slimy with this kind of fermented bitter, rotten flavor mixed with dried fish, just kind of all tied together. Um, I did eat a couple of bites, so I definitely went for it. Like, I wasn't going to back down from the ultimate food challenge that I've experienced because this is something I've always been curious about. And when this dude was like, you want to try something weird, there are maybe two to three other ingredients that I'm aware of in the world that could compete for strangeness uh, up next like fermented soybean and it's like fish caked in lye over in like the Nordic countries thousand year old egg which is also fermented um, there's there's a couple of things but there's not all that many that are stranger in my book than fermented soybeans so I'm, I'm really glad I tried it honest to god I am because I was I've been forever curious and I was like oh oh this is terrible okay good well you know what I learned something I learned something I've tried it and I was like, I never need to eat this again. And the guy behind the counter goes, you know, I don't think you'd be able to eat a bite of this straight out of the container. And I'm sitting there like, I never want to eat this again, but he's fucking calling me out. He's challenging me that I can't eat a bite of this straight out of the container. But I reached my limit for the day. And I was like, you know what? Maybe one day I'll take you up on that. Uh, but not today. And he finished the meal off with uh, a... Toro hand roll, which I believe was um, tuna belly, which was simply superb. Uh, the tuna belly hand roll had a shisho leaf inside the hand roll, which if you've not tried one of those, that is, uh, it's a large leaf traditionally used as a garnish um, in many Japanese restaurants. I see it all over the place. Uh, I recommend you try eating it. It has, it tastes like a member of the basil or mint family. It has an herbaceous flavor to it, uh, but it's also a little bitter and uh, earthy and woody. It's got an interesting flavor. Um, as far as herbs go, I've never really tasted anything quite like it. So it kind of goes well, like shisho and uzu, um, the the citrus, like that kind of that kind of family of flavors, uh, is fairly common in Japanese cuisine, but. It's uh, unique to my palate, so I always seek those out when I am uh, when I'm eating sushi or something like that. It was uh, it was quite the meal, and uh, I really want to go back one day with just like you know, here's my credit card, just empty. I've got an empty stomach. It's my weekend. I'm gonna sit down. I'm gonna drink beer and booze, and I'm gonna have you, sushi chef master, just cut whatever you're feeling what, what whatever is fresh whatever you like whatever just hook me up give me the coolest 
most exotic, tastiest fish you've got in your in your repertoire, and let's go. So maybe someday I will do that. I actually kind of want to do it like this upcoming weekend, so we'll see. But as far as uh, as far as adventures of the of the culinary world, that was totally worth it. Nato, I. I can't I can't recommend it but if you're adventurous like I am and you have to know go get it served in a restaurant for a couple of reasons one they're probably going to prepare it in the tastiest way for newcomers and two if you don't like it you don't have to deal with it in your house also I it takes a strong will to buy that and then open it and then spoon it out and still want to eat it. It's visually unpleasant to look at. So, you know, I'm not sure I could have done that, but I'm very glad I tried it. I am, honest to God. I was, I've been curious about it for a long time, and I, honestly, I'd forgotten it existed until I saw it, and I'm like, it like, I, like, you could see my astral projected body just fly backwards in those mental space of my memories as I'm like oh fuck no I know what that is no and as soon as I recognized it I was just all smiles because I was like what have I gotten myself into fuck well I can't back out now he's making it so (sighs) props to that guy props to that guy for not fucking pulling any punches if I asked for something weird he gave me something weird could not have gotten weirder like there's like if it was a fish, I would have been fine. Like if it, if it's meat from an animal, there's only it, it can only get so strange, you know. Like at the end of the day, meat is meat. I can consume that, but fermented soybeans that ain't meat. That ain't my forte. So you know what? Cheers, Moshi Moshi. Highly recommend Moshi Moshi. Please check them out. They are superb. Opens at four. Great staff. Good drinks great food go early it fills up quick anyway that's enough shelling they're not paying me I just really like the restaurant let's move on to the next thing in the podcast this week for songs of the week we've got two fantastic songs just gonna talk about the first one right away cause it's technically already been on the playlist but they came out with a brand new acoustic version and that is 7th Wonder their song Victorious acoustically done came out this past friday it's an excellent cover of their uh version of victorious it is super emotional unlike most acoustic covers uh that bands will put out for songs they've written this one i actually feel like they took a lot of effort in making it its own song and while victorious the official version is wonderful and i love the uh, the energy that song brings this one really slows it down and um, that the song benefits from that because you can really get into the lyrics and feel the emotion in the uh, in the song that Tommy provides to the vocals. It is a it's a wonderful wonderful song. So I put that on the playlist for you to listen to. And the other one is an old school classic, 1968 from the band, the band. That's right. It's the song "The Weight," which if you don't recognize it by the title of the song, you will recognize it by just listening to it. And here is my cover. Nazareth, I wasn't feeling bad a half past dead. 
classic songs from the 60s that goes without explanation it is ubiquitous in society it's the 41 best greatest song of all time according to rolling stones 500 top list it is it's a beautiful song and i absolutely love it and if you have a song that you would like to suggest for song of the week well you can email me at goingcast at gmail.com or use the contact page at goingcast.com send me those songs send me those covers We'll talk about music until the day I fucking die. Let's move on to next thing in podcast. You may notice I'm a little sleepy right now. But that's okay, because it's just late at night. And I want to talk about this because it was brought up at, uh, at work today, just kind of this general concept. And I really wanted to bring this to people's attention because it's something I've discovered while like working out and getting better like eating healthier and getting in shape and all that stuff and I really 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 need to talk about this because I'm not sure people really know so I think there's a lot of misconceptions based around um, things like serving sizes and uh, goals for uh, like certain nutritional levels in a day and uh, a lot of things, um, like, basically what kickstarted this off was, um, I eat a banana every day, therefore I consume enough potassium. That's, it's like a fallacy. Bananas have potassium. Lots of fruits and vegetables contain vitamins and minerals necessary for basic human functionality. But the problem is, is that these fruits and vegetables tend not to have nearly enough vitamins and minerals of any given one kind for the for for you and your body. You'll see things like um like an egg, for example, will contain 10 grams of protein and then it'll have like 170 calories or however much an egg has. Um it'll have these these percentages of nutritional values and it's always based around a, a diet of 2000 calories a day, all right? all this FDA shit. They calculated this out. Now, for the average individual, that 2,000 calorie a day limit is probably sufficient. But you also want to be aware that, like, if in order for you to consume enough banana to actually get 100%, air quotes, of your daily potassium allotment, one doesn't cut it straight up it doesn't you'll get some potassium from that you'll get some vitamin c from oranges and strawberries you will get some of these things but you will not get enough of these things so it's super duper crucial for you to figure out exactly how much your body needs in order to survive and your body will tell you with warning signs if you are lacking any sort of like material one of the most common uh, side effects of a, of a potassium deficiency are things like if you get pinched nerves a lot, if you easily pull muscles, or if you have weird muscle tightness, 
your body doesn't have enough potassium straight up just a hundred percent it doesn't have enough potassium so like if you stretch and your muscle goes ah fuck like ah like kind of twinges and kind of get tight you need more potassium which means you probably should take potassium supplements which i consume every day because i don't eat fucking 12 bananas or however many bananas it would take and i you know it's just easier to take the supplements so i highly encourage you to start doing that sort of research like i discovered in my like digging through this um with my average diet i was not getting enough protein like full stop so because i want to not only maintain my muscle size i want to grow so uh some of the uh nutritional diets basically suggested anywhere between 0.36 grams per pound you weigh of protein a day or one gram of protein per pound you weigh and that's a that's a that's a huge difference but basically even on the low end of what i'm supposed to have for protein a day i still wasn't making that i wasn't hitting it uh that's like 77 grams of protein a day roughly and i was averaging maybe 50 like with with chicken and cheese and dairy products and um and like beans and a whole bunch of stuff protein was spread out throughout my diet but it wasn't enough so i started drinking protein shakes and now i'm hitting that protein limit on average you know as long as i drink a shake um but i only usually drink the shakes if i'm actively going to work out but now i'm getting enough protein in my diet in order to maintain muscle size and grow muscle it's there's there's fallacies the the 2000 calorie uh diet the percentiles on nutritional facts it's all based on averages it doesn't work for everybody if you weigh 110 pounds to like 250 those people are going to have different dietary needs a hundred percent that's just how it works if you're you're like the the body mass index uh your 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 fat to muscle ratio uh your age your dietary restrictions if you can't consume dairy or gluten and all that kind of stuff those it all factors in we're all so individual that simply counting calories and relying on what the label tells you is not sufficient it won't get the job done it won't get the job done optimally it might do it'll do an average job if you take an average statistic and apply it to yourself you will get average results that's what's going to happen so you gotta you gotta figure it out and i don't have all the answers i'm still figuring it out for myself i encourage you to talk to perhaps a nutritionist um uh go figure out like what is required for a human body to work at optimal efficiency and performance figure out the food sources perhaps for the for the for various vitamins and minerals you know get that kind of diet going on and if you're not getting enough of a vitamin and mineral in your average diet or in your new um kind of health oriented mindset of a diet then get supplements straight up protein shakes uh vitamins and mineral uh pills uh you can get like a multi multivitamin like one a day sort of deal quick and easy and done um i take six supplements i take potassium uh zinc iron uh b vitamins which are crucially important 
Uh, I, I'd be willing to bet that the vast majority of Americans do not get enough B vitamins in their system because they are notoriously difficult to find. They're found in like berries and shit. Um, I think plums might have some B vitamins. I know fish has a couple of pretty good B vitamins, but it's just, there are so many B vitamins and the amount of food you need to consume in order to get enough necessary B vitamins beyond just taking a supplement is so much that it, it is more efficient to just take the B vitamin supplements. Uh, vitamin C and then um, glucosamine, which helps with joints and um, cartilage and stuff like that. Uh, I take all of those things. Since I started the the kind of pill regime, I haven't gotten sick because of my my constant update of vitamin C. I don't I don't get colds anymore. I don't get the flu. My immune system is strong. It is fighting off everything. I may sound sick now, but that's just because I'm tired and allergy season. That's a completely different thing. I don't have a cold. That's that's what's important. So it is so important for you to start getting that stuff like under, well, maybe not under control. I'm not saying it's out of control, but there's no better time to start this stuff than now. And it's, it's completely changed how I eat, how I think about food, how I live. Um, the other day I ordered Chinese food. Like I would like any other night, I got a couple of dishes and I felt like absolute shit after that. The fat content was so high. It made me feel terrible which I take as a wonderful sign because that just means I, I eat healthy. And that's why I went for sushi um, instead of going to get fried chicken because I knew the fried chicken was going to make me feel terrible and I needed something that made me feel good, that like was healthier. So I went and got sushi. And that's just how I operate now for, on, a, on a personal basis. So I work out basically every day. I've changed my diet in order to meet certain requirements like especially with protein um because I, I mean there's no there's not i don't think there are protein pills there's protein powder like you have to consume it you can't just be like oh i popped a pill it's 100 grams of protein in a single pill um that'd be crazy and it would basically be like a compressed piece of steak or something like that best place to get protein like pound for pound is meat you can get it in vegetables don't get me wrong. You can get it with soy. You can get protein elsewhere. But if you want to be efficient in terms of how much food you consume, meat is your friend. Although um, I get most of my protein from the protein shakes, which actually comes from milk and dairy products. So there you go. And I'm not getting in all the ecological impact of meat versus vegetables and all that stuff. That's a, that's a whole kettle of fish that I'm not diving into right now. I'm just saying that y'all need to do some research on what your body needs in order to operate at prime efficiency and trusting nutrition labels and doing the average based on the FDA approved 2000 calorie diet probably won't cut it for the vast majority of all people. So it works for some, but don't work, doesn't work for everybody. So don't feel too guilty if you go over the 2000 calorie limit Chances are you probably need more than 2,000 calories in a day, especially now. The world is getting more hectic. You're awake for longer hours. Chance You probably need more than 2,000 calories a day. So this ends my nutritional sermon, and we're going to move on to the next thing in the podcast. It has finally arrived. The last book 
in the Harry Potter franchise that I will be reading for this audio-based project of mine, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hollows. I remember when this book came out. I could probably find, if I went and looked for it, the original shipping box that this book arrived in because it was Harry Potter themed and I thought that was super cool. So I kept it. I read this book over the course of a couple of weeks when it first came out. Unlike some of my friends who read it the same day, they just plowed through it. We had to know it was the end of Harry Potter. And now, done for your amusement and my pain because I'm so fucking sick of Harry Potter. Book seven is finally available for people to listen to. I'm actively still recording chapters, but thankfully due to our three chapter a week mentality, I've got plenty of time to actually finish this book. But this week we start off book seven with chapter one, the Dark Lord Ascending, chapter two, In Memoriam, and chapter three, the Dursleys Departing. And the highlight for this week I want to talk about is Voldemort's world domination plan found in chapter one. Let's take a listen. You must prune yours, must you not, to keep it healthy. Cut away those parts that threaten the health of the rest. Yes, my lord, whispered Bellatrix, her eyes swam with tears of gratitude again. At the first chance, you shall have it, said Voldemort. And in your family, so in the world. We shall cut away the canker that infects us until only those of true blood remain, all forty of us. The rest of them will die due to a serious amount of inbreeding that will immediately occur upon genociding the entire planet of half-bloods, mud-bloods, and any blood I do not deem to be pure. We shall inbreed ourselves into annihilation. A couple of generations down the road, our eyes and ears and noses will be so large we will not be able to lift our heads above the ground, but our blood will be pure. Diseased, full of horrible fluids and carcinogens, we will not endure. Rather, we shall perish quite quickly. Uh, this is a very short-sighted worldview that I have professed to instigate within all of you. And I need you all to go out there and start fucking like rabbits to make more pure bloods. Do it. Find two half-bloods. Get them boning. Together they'll make a three-quarters blood. Perhaps even a pure blood, if you, you know, do the Punnett square. Figure it out. They need four kids. One of them will be pure. <laughs> Find the pure child amongst the others. <laughs> Bring him to me, and we shall repeat the process. Ah, <laughs> uh, forever. Three brand new Harry Potter chapters land every Wednesday until this book is mercifully done. And then we will move on to the next franchise, which is already being recorded, and I'm very excited about it. And if you've been paying attention, you know it's Game of Thrones, and it's going to be one heck of a rockin' ride. But we're not there yet. We've got, like, a couple months of Harry Potter Book 7 to plow through first, and then we got to go off to Westeros and start talking about all them fun-ass characters. Enjoy Book 7. It's very good. I like it a lot. Now let's move on to the next thing in the podcast. I'm going to take you back in time along my timeline because long, long ago, almost in another universe, I spoke about this show in great length and I just had the pleasure of rewatching the first season. And I wanted to talk about it because these, these shows, these specific shows on this specific channel get a bad rap, I feel, 
uh, for being a little too much drama and not enough comic book superhero fun. But the CW superhero shows started really strongly when it came to The Flash. So season one of The Flash, I believe, is the is the ultimate example of their particular formula when it comes to comic book superhero shows. Arrow season one missed the boat. They tried to, to be a bit more realistic. Um, there were none of the villains had superpowers in season one. He wasn't called Green Arrow. He was called the Hood. They were just like, you know, it's inspired by the comic, but it isn't the comic. Like, that's kind of the direction they took season one. And then when season two of Arrow rolled around and they backdoor piloted, introduced Barry Allen as the Flash, then they started to introduce uh, Mirakuru, which was the super soldier uh, serum. And we started to get like some some superhuman things going on in uh, Green Arrow. Um, and then the show peaked at season two, which was the best season of Arrow. And then it was a steady decline in season three and then a sheer drop after season four. And it's been plummeting ever since. But with The Flash, Flash peaked at season one, in my opinion. And while the following seasons were never as good as season one, at least The Flash pretty much right out the gate went this motherfucker's got super speed and this shit's gonna be bonkers and y'all are gonna love it because what the flash does really well is that it has that classic cw teen drama uh, between like uh you know like barry and iris not getting together uh, uh barry and his his uh his adoptive dad joe and like there's there's a lot of really strong great drama in the flash the characters are incredibly strong in The Flash. Uh, you you get a good bead on who they are pretty much right out the gate, which is one of my absolute favorite things in any show. If the show can tell you what it's about in the first fucking episode, then that's a good goddamn show. You meet and learn about every major player in The Flash in that first fucking episode. And you learn like who they are. You learn about them. You learn how they connect to other people. You learn about their backstories. And episode one, not not many shows can do that. Game of Thrones did that. Um, Avatar: The Last Airbender did that. Like, it's it is a hallmark of a great show to be able to get that shit correct right out the gate. So the Flash season one really does that well. And the first season of the Flash. Waltz being, I think it's a pretty classic story. Um, how the villain comes about, the the uh, development of the Flash and him getting stronger and faster and picking up different tricks along the way to defeat certain villains, like tools to add to his repertoire. And then when he utilizes these tools, he learned in various episodes later on, just kind of offhandedly, it's real character progression and it's development. Like he'll pull off some cool ass stunt shit towards the end of the season that he learned you know 8 12 episodes ago and it just it makes sense it all makes sense so it's such a cohesive story told in that first season that it really is this beautiful blend of what the CW can do when the CW is on point and it's got great writers and a wonderful um, story arc and this whole big uh, new adventure that the Flash has they nailed it and what I love about the CW shows is, um, like, I like the characters in Arrow, except for Felicity, um, who doesn't really start shitting the bed until season three, I think, is when her character really starts to go downhill, because I'm like, 
decently into season two on a rewatch just because I'm bored. Um, and she's not driving me up the wall yet. Um, like there's there's a nasty habit of the CW characters doing dumb shit with for no like things normal humans wouldn't do occur in like this show. And while they give you a reason in the show, it's never like a logical one. Um, and there's there's a lot of stuff like that. Like um, uh, a certain character at the end of season one of The Flash makes a decision that changes the course of the whole show when in reality there were a couple of other paths that uh, could have been uh, executed to achieve a similar effect, but perhaps not as quickly. I don't want to spoil it in case my diatribe of The Flash convinces anybody to go watch it because it's all on Netflix. Um, the, the CW shows has probably a, the like unique position of episodes. like So see, when season five of The Flash ended, which is this past season, when that ended, all of season five was on Netflix the following week. It flies on a Netflix. And all that shit remains. So just a real quick rundown of the shows. Arrow is good for the first two seasons. I would say The Flash is good for the first two seasons. And then if you're really hooked, you can watch season three. It's not terrible, but it's not great. Season four, I didn't finish. And season five is fine. That's how that goes. And if I'm giving you that sort of breakdown. First two seasons of Arrow are okay. Season three is not. Season four is shit. And then I stopped. So I couldn't tell you what happens in the next three seasons. There's like five, six, and seven. Never watched it. I don't know. Now, Supergirl started on CBS before it ended up being moved to the CW. Um, Season one was not the strongest, but when the show moves to the CW, it, from what I hear, definitely gets better. So that's kind of the inverse. Uh, Flash starts strong and moves weak, and Supergirl started weak and got better. So take that as you will. Um, and then uh, Legends of Tomorrow is this anthology show where the cast um, undergoes a lot of changes between seasons. And each each season is its, like, its own little tied up kind of storyline. Um, with some characters returning in multiple seasons, there is a little bit of continuity. But it's not something... You can jump in at any season with Legends of Tomorrow and you'll, you'll be fine. You'll get it. It's not too complicated. Um, and Legends is probably the bon- most bonkers of the shows. It goes the most interesting places um, in terms of like just wacky ass shit. Um, probably the most comic booky show of all of them. It completely goes off the wall and uh, has definitely done things no other show has uh, done because no other show has been has the the glory of the setup of just being fucking crazy balls. It's a it's a unique one. Uh, there's Black Lightning as well, which I've never seen, so I can't say for good or for ill what that one's all about and then later this october we get another show because apparently they don't think they've reached saturation yet with a batwoman who i am very excited about and i think could be i think it has the potential to be very strong i'm a little i don't want to say concerned but all right so when they have when there's representation in media it's a wonderful thing and uh cassandra kane uh batwoman is set up to be the first um uh lesbian superhero to lead a show 
and that's incredible and wonderful. But all the trailers are very much making that the focus of the the show is her pro-feminist um, mentality. And honestly, I feel like it's more of a gimmick than a genuine character decision. Like, I feel like they're just going down that route just to say they went down this route. And doing the right thing for the wrong reasons can sometimes be the wrong decision. Like, just because somebody is, you know, somebody feels a certain way about their their sexual identity or their gender-specific uh, pronouns, that's not their entire character. Do you understand? Like, it's... So, like... I, your your sexual orientation and your gender preferences do not define who you are. It can, but for many of us, it is a small aspect of who we are. I Like, I'm straight, but it's not like that's my entire being. You know what I mean? That's not just... That's my character. I'm the straight guy. That's why I'm here, to say straight guy things. I drink beer and shoot guns. I don't know. Like, it's... It's part of a character. It is not the character. And I feel like for, for Batwoman, they're really making it the character. Um, which isn't great. Like, you know, I can't speak for everybody by any means. But you could argue that bad representation is almost worse than no representation. Because if I felt underrepresented in media and then they showcased a character that was more of a caricature or a mockery of my beliefs, I would be more insulted than I would be supportive. So I don't want to write the check before it's cashed because the show hasn't even come out yet. And chances are the trailers are misrepresenting the character um, by implying that that's what the character is all about, which simply cannot be the case because there's nowhere to go from there. There's no character growth opportunities if that's just what your character is. It's just, you gotta have room for expansion. So we'll have to wait and see on that one. But if you're interested in seeing some good goddamn superhero shows that aren't needlessly complicated and full of characters nobody cares about like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., then watch The Flash. Because The Flash, season one, is awesome. I love it. I laugh, I cry, I feel emotions. It's super corny and cheesy at some points, and then super dramatic at the other. It's a wonderful balance. Legends of Tomorrow, a little too wacky for my liking. A little too comic booky. Arrow, a little too dramatic, not enough comic booky. The Flash, it's like a perfect 50-50 cut. You got the whack, and you got the drama. And it's a wonderful balance. Strong characters, great plot. It is the best. Plus, The Flash has the cool set of superpowers. If I was gonna, if I was gonna pick, you know, a, a band of superpowers, and Superman wasn't on the table because, of course, you would pick Superman because he has every fucking power. But so the Flash, you gotta love it. You got super speed, allows you to travel through time, phase through solid objects. That's that's a pretty impressive uh, set of skills. Um, uh, super fast metabolism allows you to heal super quickly. Um, you can't get drunk, which sounds a lot of fun. Uh, you can speed read the like, and then it's just like the speed of the Flash. Um, also, I believe because of his super high metabolism, he ages slower than normal people do. Not sure if that's confirmed or not, but the Flash has a has a nice set of abilities. Oh, and he can throw lightning, which is pretty dope. But uh, season one is really fucking good. Really fucking good. Y'all should check it out. Anyway, let's move on to the next thing in the podcast.
latest nostalgia trip for people around my age has finally hit theaters. The final installment of the Toy Story franchise, Toy Story 4. This time Woody goes off on his own and everybody else does something else. Basic plot line of all Toy Story movies. It was pretty damn good. I think Toy Story 4 with its, um, oh sorry, I think the Toy Story franchise with this final installment has cemented itself as being the premier uh, animated uh, franchise. There isn't a bad movie in the bunch. And I know a lot of people, including myself, were skeptical of the fourth Toy Story movie. It's been nine years since the third one, which came out in 2010, and we all thought that movie ended pretty damn well. I had a super strong emotional ending. The toys were off to the next kid. There was, there was closure there. And when they announced that there was a fourth movie, we all kind of looked at each other and went, I don't know about this. This kind of seems a little weird. Why would, you know, three movies, it's a natural trilogy, just stop it. Uh, and that made a lot of sense. But I saw that the reviews were really strong for this one, so I decided to give it a chance, and I'm very glad I did. While it kind of, you know the end of Return of the King when there's like eight endings uh, in the movie, like when the end of the movie occurs, it's like another 45 minutes until the actual end of the film because it's all just like a bunch of endings. Kind of feels like that a little bit. It just feels like a, a more of an ending. Um, but it is, uh, it, there's some epilogue stuff at the very end of the film which really does put a nice cap on the whole thing. Looking back over the entire uh, like franchise, it's very strong, it's very solid. There's a lot of great nostalgic callbacks right at the start of the film. Uh, you see like the fucking classic blue sky wallpaper with the clouds represented in the sky. You got a friend in me plays within the first 10 minutes and it just punches you right in the feels. And it's like, I grew up with these movies. I didn't really realize it, but like nine years ago was the third one. Uh, I think the second one came out in like 2004, so even longer. And then like the first one came out in 98, 97, one of those years. Long ass time ago. I grew up with these films. And this one is pretty, it's pretty good. Um, animation wise, naturally, it doesn't even need mentioning. It's some of the best out there. Pixar reminding us all why they are the king of this shit. Uh, even though they've had some, some missteps uh, within the last decade, things like Monsters University and Cars 2 and, you know, there's some, there's some issues. There's some bad Pixar movies for sure, but when push comes to shove, they can come out with a, with a walloping good movie. I laughed super hard. I fucking love Key and Peele. I think their comedy is super snappy and I love how they, the chemistry between those two, uh, just rolls off the tongue. I wouldn't be surprised if they didn't even give him a script. They're just like, put him in a studio and just let him go at it. Here's the scene, go. And they just, they killed it. And they were super funny and I loved it. Uh, the comedy in this movie is very good, including some some good old fashioned, long lost physical comedy uh, was in this was in this film. And you know, sometimes that's just the best. Um, there, were, there were definitely a couple of moments that I absolutely loved. Uh, there were a couple of jokes that if I was a kid, I would have thought it was hilarious and even as an adult I still think are super funny like there's this montage bit in the middle when they're trying to figure out how to get the key from the shop owner and um uh key, all of Key and Peele's ideas are just it's oh, it's I love that stuff I love it it's it's super funny I don't want to tell you what it is because it won't translate well over audio but it's very good the overall plot of the movie is pretty solid um it has one of my all-time favorite things in a movie and that's moral ambiguity in your villain character 
uh, when you can um, sympathize with the villain and see shit from their point of view, um, it's a good villain. Like, Thanos had that going on. And, um, oh, who are some other great fucking villains that you can you can totally sympathize with them? Um, so there were some Legend of Korra villains that had that going on for him. Just really, really strong villains always have a sympathetic side. If they're just blatantly evil, like fucking Voldemort, where it's just like, I'm gonna kill all my bloods, where it's just like, I don't care about you. Give me a reason to care about your plight, and then maybe you'll have something. But it's just like, it's cartoony villainy at that point. But if they've got... If they've got a soft side and they've got a point that it makes sense and you're like, oh, okay, so you're not any different from the rest of them. You are you just want what they want. You're just a bit more aggressive about going about getting it, you know. That's really solid. Um, I loved the Bo Peep character and this concept of, um, of lost toys uh, really coming to a front here. It was uh, a different way of looking at it. And there was, there was a lot of um, pretty mature themes in this film shit like um selflessness and self-sacrifice um doing something for somebody else that goes completely against what you need or want in the world um finding purpose in life is a huge theme here uh becoming something from nothing is a theme in this movie and then um i would i would guess uh letting go and moving on which you, you as the viewer feel because this is the hopefully fingers crossed the final fucking Toy Story movie um, and I really think it should be it's been two decades of Toy Story films they can't stretch this out any further they could if they really wanted to but I really don't think they should other movies have better franchise potential like to um, Incredibles could co totally keep going but Toy Story needs to be left alone now You've, you've had your say as far as I'm concerned you've had two finishing films um, that both end very strongly and it should it should stop we should we should all be happy with Toy Story and move on it is absolutely worth seeing um, there were a couple of scenes I guess that were a little slow but the movie is jam packed with uh, celebrity cameos uh, like fucking Mel Brooks uh, who I haven't heard in a long ass time he's one of my all time favorites and I'm so glad he was he was in the film Carol Burnett was in the film Betty White was in the film Keanu Reeves was in the film the movie's dedicated to the late great Don Rickles um who uh passed away several years ago and it was it's a great way to say to say goodbye to the Toy Story gang and it's <laughs> I was thinking about this how like you I'm not ubiquitous it's just like I know these characters so well and it's because I've known them for 20 plus years and it's just there's a lot of emotions uh, rolling around with this film and I wasn't expecting that to be perfectly honest because I never would have said Toy Story was one of my favorite movies but it's like I don't know it's it's such a strong franchise that it almost goes without saying that you like Toy Story for all the way from you are a toy through to uh to Kelsey Grammer being a grizzled prospector to fucking hugs a lot bear now here with um the farewell to the gang and I very much appreciate the the ending because it it changed like the characters do things that make sense 
from what the movie told us. And then either during the credits, they give us this epilogue scene that lets you know that the characters are like, okay. Um, it basically gives you like the next year of their lives in a, in an epilogue sort of montage that lets you know that the toys are all right, guys. They're okay. They found happiness within themselves. So very, very much worth seeing. Um, that being said, the animation's really incredible, and there are some shots of, like, epic vistas um, and some really awesome light work in the film that I think do benefit from being seen on the big screen. But outside of that, the, the emotional impact of the film will be just as emotional on the small screen as it will be on the big screen. So if you can't see in the theaters, don't feel like you're missing out on, like, some big epic spectacle. Um, I don't think the, the movie theater... Uh, does this movie any more of a like it doesn't do much to add to the film beyond some shots which will look just as good on the small screen um, as long as you have like a good clear uh, resolution for your for your monitor so yes Toy Story 4 very much worth seeing gives you a good nostalgia hit doesn't soil itself with um needless fan service has a pretty good unique story some awesome brand new characters great music um and i loved it so i would highly recommend going to see it now let's move on to the next thing in the podcast And I think that'll do it for this week, gang. Got a long episode for you this week. It was awesome. Talked about Toy Story. Book 7 launched. We talked about some other stuff that I can't quite remember because it's been days since I actually recorded those segments. But hey, you know what? That's fine. Thank you very much for listening to this week's episode of the Growing Up Cast. I hope you enjoy Book 7. My heart and soul has gotten into this book. I've actually bled for this book. I might tell that story a little later on. Thank you very much for listening. Enjoy the stuff. I'll see you next week. Go watch Toy Story 4. Enjoy Book 7, and I hope you all have a wonderful week. Talk to you later.